The FDF podcast is sponsored by Clark Energy, sustainably powering the food and drink sectors. FDF podcast, passionate about food and drink. Welcome to the FDF podcast sponsored by Clark Energy. My name is Emma Pearson and I lead on energy and climate change policy here at the Food and Drink Federation. And I'm delighted to have with me today Lee Shepherd, Director of Corporate Affairs and Policy at Appetito. Lee, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Emma. Nice to be here. Brilliant. I think a good place to start for our listeners uh, would be to understand a little more about your background. Um, how, how long have you been working in food and um, you know, types of role? And what would you say are your most sort of recent and c- current focus points at work? Um, I've been working in the food industry now for just over 25 years. Um, I initially started life there as an accountant, having come out of practice. Um, I sort of built early experience in commercial operations. Um, one thing that is a recurring with me is that I was never content just to report the numbers. I always wanted to use them to influence change. Um, it will come up through our conversation today, I'm sure, but I, I really believe in the phrase, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. Um, Definitely. So at work, I, I've run factories, I've closed a factory, um, I've worked in Mills and Wheels, I still work with the Malnutrition Task Force, which um, an independent group of experts that seek to uh, address um, avoidable malnutrition amongst the elderly. In more ye- recent years, I've set up Appetito's Care Homes Division. I ran that for eight years. And I've spent three years as Operations Director with Wiltshire Farm Foods, a home delivery food retail brand. Um, as you mentioned, my role now is to head up Appetito's corporate affairs and policy work. And that's got a real focus on our sort of ESG strategy. Um, and outside of Appetito, I also chair the sustainability group for the new hospital food standards work. Goodness, that's quite a remit, Lee. Um, that certainly keeps you busy. Um, <laughs> generally does, yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, let, let's look a bit more, um, you know, at this the sustainability side of things and, um, you know, sort of shaping Appetito strategy uh, in this area. Um, what what, what uh, sort of have been the, the key points of this that you've been looking at uh, over the last year? Um I would start by saying being ethical and sustainable is it's more than just a nice to do at Appetito. I've worked here for over 25 years, as I said. It's definitely a value that is held by our team members. It's not just corporate speak. Um, We started that journey back in 2007. um, And I think we've made some great progress in that time. You know, um, I could pull out some key highlights you know, we've been an accredited real living wage employer now for over four years. We're the only food company in the health and social care sector to be a member of the Ethical Trading Initiative. Um, all our fish is sustainable. 100% of our wild fish has the MSC accreditation, which I think is ahead of any other retailer in the UK. Um And that culminated, we won a Queen's Award for Sustainable Development in 2019. So I think we've made some great progress over the last sorry Emma so no I was going to say you really have I mean you know there's a huge amount of sort of accolades there and sort of demonstration uh, of of the Appetito's commitment to this area yeah as I say I think it's it's one of the values that that all the team hold 
And, and I think we've made great progress. I think what we've done over the last year is that we've probably refined that strategy um, and created a clear sort of roadmap for the future. And part of the challenge with that and why I think that's important is that in this space, there are so many things that you can be working on. It's almost more important to decide what you're not going to do as it is to decide what you are going to do. And I think we've done that really well over the last year. And, and I suppose taking this a step further, or should we say narrowing down and, and focusing, and, and then in terms of then looking at decarbonisation and that aspect of the sustainability agenda, um, what have you been looking at in terms of that perspective, in terms of um, it re- reducing, you know, in the, the carbon footprint, and, and you know, do, do you do you have any targets in this area on carbon emissions? Um, I think targets are a really interesting question. Certainly, over the last year, we've been heavily focused on the sort of decarbonisation challenge. Um, and obviously the attention on net zero has grown massively in the last year and it will continue to do so, um, not least of all leading up to COP26 later this year. So in terms of targets for us, we've set a three level carbon commitment. Um, and if I if I list the three commitments and then I'll tell you why I think they're important. So first of all, we've agreed that we will be net zero by 2040. Secondly, we've said that we'll deliver decarbonisation in line with a one and a half degree pathway and have that assessed and validated by the Science Based Target Institute. Uh, And we've currently made our application for that target. And then thirdly, by 2025, we'll show that we're delivering initial progress through some challenging interim targets. So it's a three level commitment. I actually think that's really important in the context of how net zero is being discussed at the moment. Um, Definitely. I mean, and then the first thing that comes to mind is it's great to hear that target you have, because, of course, you know, that that's very much what we see developing across the the farm to fork supply chain already. Net zero, you know, ourselves at FDF, the BRC have the 2040 targets. And of course, it's looking at how, you know, how our manufacturers, you know, can it can work towards that. I mean, how how did for, for yourselves? How did you uh, sort of work towards uh, agreeing that twenty forty target? And indeed, you know that that sort of a, a, a emission reductions plan, you know, aligned with the SBTI. Well, well, I think I think let's be frank. Net zero, I would say, is the only game in town now. You know, it's what everybody is talking about uh, on a sort of consumer media government perspective. And, and you made the point, Emma, that BRC, FDF, NFU, they got, everybody is making a net zero commitment. So I think businesses need to be there because it's the expectation. I think the challenge is that just a net zero commitment without, for example, a validated science based target doesn't focus doesn't force companies to focus on decarbonisation. Um, I think there are too many companies out there at the moment that are greenwashing. They're making loose net zero commitments. They don't have any targets on how they're going to get there. Many of them don't even include all the scopes of emissions. Um, and people are getting wrapped up in offsetting without actually focusing on decarbonising first. Mm. So I think that's key. And I think People, these interim targets that we've set, we've set challenging 2025 targets. You know, 
we need to start this work now. You know, making a 2050 commitment or even a 2040 commitment, you know, that, that means things for me get kicked into the long grass. Um, and if we're really serious as businesses, as a nation about addressing climate change, we can't put this to one side any longer. Yes, absolutely. You know, in your introductory uh, comments, you you said that phrase, you, you can't manage what you can't measure. Um, so how, how do you go about measuring your, your footprint? It's, it's challenging. I've got to be honest, without the sort of knowledge or expertise within your organisation or plenty of time, it, it's not easy to do. And, and we worked with a dedicated sustainability partner. Um, you'll know them well, well Emma, it's Free Keel, who yes. we work with. Um, and they've helped us effectively map our current footprint. Um, and I think that's been really valuable. Um, I mean, what I think worked really well was that we ran a whole series of group interviews. We identified seven areas where we thought carbon would be generated across our business. They're not difficult to identify. And then we had detailed group interviews with those people with Three Keel. And that was fantastic at identifying all the areas where carbon would come from. Uh, and I think that process worked really well. And that to me is the key thing. Once you've identified where the carbon comes from, then it's it's relatively straightforward for people then to get engaged in identifying projects to reduce it. That's where you need less of the expertise then. You know, there's lots of guidance out there. You know, the FDF roadmap that's going to be coming out and the guidebook. There's lots of places that tell you how you can do it. It's just understanding to start with what your initial footprint looks like. And, and something that just struck me from what you said um in terms of those interviews you know that 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 you had with the different departments that must and you mentioned engagement that must have really helped with the engagement piece because then you know the respective areas can understand that their impact on the process and have some buy-in into it yeah I, i i think the engagement is key i think you know everybody has their jobs to do and net zero is is not really the number one point on anybody else's day job. You know, if you're running the factory, your job is to produce the food, produce the meals, be efficient, be safe. If you're engineering, it's to do engineering tasks. So everybody's got their own jobs to do. So you've got to get them to see how important this is and get them engaged in the project. You can't just deliver it through your sustainability team. It's too wide ranging for that. You've got to engage people all across the business. And I think involving them from the beginning in identifying our current footprint naturally then led the same people to be the ones that said right these are the projects that i can now go and work on to reduce it and and actually touching upon that point then uh, around projects to reduce emissions if if maybe we have a a quick look to start off with with the scope one and two emissions so sort of the the on-site emissions in the manufacturing process um could you maybe outline some of the, the main measures that you're, that you're looking uh, at w- to reduce those? Yeah, so we, we've got to reduce our scope one and two by about a third per meal by 2035. Uh, sorry, by 2025. So a pretty significant ask. Um, I think the first point I'd make is that in the background, there are things going on that will benefit any company. So the decarbonisation of the UK electricity grid, you know, will probably give us about a third of our required reduction. So 
it isn't all about the company having to do everything. There's stuff going on in the background. But if I look more specifically at us, I mean, key work here is obviously in manufacturing and in storage and distribution. So in storage and distribution, if I was to start there, there's a lot of work going on in terms of route optimization of our distribution fleet, fuel reductions, mileage reductions, general efficiency. Um, there's projects going on and looking at new fuels, so hydrogen fuels, for example, and, and refrigerants um, is a key area. Um, refrigerants have wildly different emissions and there's an opportunity to be a lot more efficient and carbon friendly by switching refrigerants. You then move into sort of areas like electric fleets. Um, now at a sort of an Arctic level, the technology is not there at the moment, but for smaller vehicles, it is. We're trialing some new technology um, that combines electric vehicle with electric refrigeration units and solar refrigeration. That's in its early stages. And if I move into the factory, into sort of manufacturing, there's lots of support and evidence around sort of heat exchange projects, new cooking technologies. Um, so there's lots of individual projects going on there that will drive it. Um, and I'd even come back to metering. Um, <laughs> and my, my old mantra, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. You know, one of our projects is to, be, to improve metering all across the factory so we can get measures across every piece of equipment. Wow. Well, look, you have covered so much there. Um, but, you know, the, the thing that comes to mind uh, is cost and, and, and finance. Um, how are you looking to, to finance some of these investments? Yeah, I think this is a key area. And, and I think it's fair to say for us and I think for many others, um, this is a bit of a work in progress um, in terms of trying to find the right approach. Um, but I agree, sort of factoring the cost of carbon in both purchasing and, in, and investment decisions is key. So we did some initial work looking at factoring a price for carbon in our sort of investment appraisal process. How do we build in a price for that so it might change the payback decision? And the reality is even at a relatively high price of carbon, say £100 a tonne, it often doesn't shift the dial enough if you're going to look at it purely on an investment appraisal basis. I think what we're quite taken with and we're looking at at the moment is the sort of principle of creating a carbon budget. So you establish a price for carbon, you calculate the impact of carbon from that project and you effectively charge the project that price of carbon. And that money then gets put into a central carbon budget that the business can use more widely for carbon reduction. Um, we're still developing that and still exploring it but I, I think that might be the route that we go down. This sounds to be honest I think quite inspiring how did you come up with this? Uh, well I'm not going to pretend that we came up with it on our own um, I mean this is talking across the industry you know talking with people like Three Keel talking with other leaders in this space to see what they've done um, I think it's it's still definitely evolving Emma um, there are no hard and fast rules of what companies are following, but it's just it's just networking and trying to find out what other people are doing. I think this is an area where people are quite keen to share. Um, you know, there are commercial sensitivities, but I think around climate change, people recognise it's sometimes bigger than just an individual company and seem happy to share what they're doing. 
And and do you feel, in terms of sort of the management team at Appetito, that 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 was part of the reason for for supporting this approach as well? I mean, to me, it sounds like you're actually also taking quite a leadership role in the sector. Well, I think we would always like to say uh, we we talk about making a real difference. We always want to be seen as one of the leading companies. Um, And I think our view when we first started looking at decarbonisation was we were never going to map out our entire journey to 2040 or 2050. We were never going to be entirely clear on what that might cost. Uh, And I don't think any company can be. However, we felt it was the right thing to do. Mm. And coupled with that, we also then saw an opportunity to sort of create competitive advantage from it. You know, you, you, you can either be a leader or a follower here, I think. Th- this is happening. Um, and our decision was that we'd rather be a leader in it, take a leadership role and try and not only do the right thing, but drive advantage from it. Yeah, I, I, you just summarised that so well. And I, I agree with you completely on, that, on how important that is. And I, and I think in terms of actually driving that momentum across the sector I think actually that neatly takes on to sort of the next area um actually around scope three in the supply chain emissions and actually sort of engaging with suppliers in the supply chain um could you say a little bit about how you're looking to to reduce uh, your scope three emissions you know obviously for any food business scope three is where the emissions are. Over 90% of our emissions are scope three. And then if you even look below that, you know, it it comes from the food. It comes from the ingredients that we source. So two thirds of our emissions effectively come from the ingredients that reach our factory gates. Um, And I think when we're reaching out into the supply chain to try and understand it, I think, again, Companies are pretty early in their journey into this. There are not many companies that we've reached out to, even those that would supply heavily into retail that have sort of carbon footprinting of their products. There there are a number of companies out there that have got net zero commitments and carbon commitments. Um, And I really encourage companies to reach out into their supply base. I think this is a piece of work where we're going to have to work collaboratively together. Um, I mean, what I would say is, Carbon, as we all know, you know, there is a real red meat challenge. There's a real dairy challenge. Um, so the carbon challenge is probably concentrated in a relatively small proportion of most companies' supply base. And if we can come together and work together to address that, then we can make significant change. And mm. um, Actually, you mentioned sort of carbon footprinting there. What do you think about carbon labelling? Do you think that could be helpful for consumers? Um, I mean... I'm all in favour, as I think we'd all would be, of of giving consumers the information they need to make the right choices. And the concept of a a carbon score on a product feels feels great. I I do have some concerns, I suppose, in the sense that, you know, though there's a major supermarket at the moment that are trialling an eco score, looking at wider environmental issues. And, you know, for consumers, there's lots of factors they need to consider, you know, dietary information, health information, allergen information, you know, information that they need to be able to determine to work out if that product is suitable and safe for them right here and now. So there's always a challenge to get information on that customer packaging. And 
whilst in, in principle I like the idea of a carbon score, I think a sort of unified approach and a consistent approach to labelling will be key. Otherwise, mapping the carbon footprint of an individual meal based on the proteins and the ingredients and where they come from is a challenge. This could become a bit of a free-for-all. If, if, well, say, if not already, I mean, that, that's, that would be an exaggeration, but, I mean, th that is the challenge, isn't it? Because there are a number of methodologies, data sources out there, you know, and, and that, that is that common challenge, you know, and for consumers, when trying to compare products, actually, you don't know if, if, if it's on the, on the same sort of level playing field. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, good idea in principle, but the kind of the execution needs quite a lot of thinking about. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting. I think when, you know, we look at the move to net zero um, and, and actually in terms of food, then, you know, we see, you know, a number of developments and, and sort of a demand pool, actually, from, from consumers uh, for new products and, and you know, plant-based products as, as well. Um, and, and I suppose you... you would you agree then that, that, that indeed there are some sort of business opportunities that, that may come um, from, from this uh, decarbonisation agenda? I think without a doubt. I mean, I think we made the point earlier that I think business effectively has two choices. You can either lead or you can follow. Mm. Um, and with everybody, government, BRC, consumers, FDF, NFU and others, making these commitments then th this is happening so the message i'd say is right you, you need to get on it now and i think even if you look across you know we work with the nhs for example um, the nhs have a net zero commitment um, and so we are starting to work with the nhs on creating decarbonized menus in that space I, we're even seeing in retail i think as we'll all know that you know the popularity of plant-based products is increasing significantly um, even before we get to COP26, I, th I think the focus on climate change has increased massively in the last year and will only continue to do so. So you, you think it's, I mean, that's great to hear. And, and actually, to be fair, I agree with you. But do, do you think COVID uh, has has impacted, um, you know, the, the sectors, indeed, sort of for others as well, but, you know, our ability to be able to, to continue this momentum and implementation of some of these strategies? I mean, I think the challenge of COVID, I, I don't think there's a single answer to it. Um, you know, even if I look just at the food industry, you know, that there are some businesses within the food sector that would commercially have benefited effectively from COVID. They've been allowed to continue operating and their demand has grown. So they become even more commercially successful. So it allows them to keep doing this work, to keep investing, to push on. On the other hand, you've got businesses that have been brought to their knees by COVID. Um, and the challenge always for many businesses is, dare I say, some sustainability issues fit in the nice to do camp. And you know, if they're struggling financially, it falls off the radar. Uh, so I, I think it, I think it's impossible to say. It just every business has yes. its own approach. Well, th thank you very much for joining me today, Lee. Uh, there's just so much we could talk about. Um, I think if I could finish with a couple of further questions, um, that, that, that would be great. Um, so the first one would be, if you could give one piece of advice as to where stroke, or stroke how companies should start when looking at decarbonisation, what would you say? I would say the first thing I would do is map your current carbon footprint. Um, 
I made the point before that I think, and you might need some help to do that, but it provides such an insight as to where your carbon's coming from that probably most businesses at the start of this journey just would not appreciate. And I think once you understand where the current footprint is, then you'll have a team of people, if they're engaged, will say, well, in my area, I can do something about that. I can reduce energy. I can reduce electricity. I can reduce food waste. Um, I might be able to do something with an electric fleet. Um, a whole multitude of areas. And I think it's relatively straightforward for people to start looking at solutions, but you've got to understand where the challenge comes from in the first place. So I would say map your carbon footprint as a starter. Well, having done that, uh, and, you know, as you mentioned, these ideas uh, to, to you know address some of those areas you highlighted, how do you measure success in, in, in implementing those? What, what does success look like? Well, I'd say <laughs> come back and ask me in 2025. Ask me if we've hit our targets. <laughs> um, so there's the obvious there's obviously that, that element of it. Um, but I think success as well. You know, any project like this has to be delivered in a sort of matrix type fashion across a business. Um, it can't just be delivered by a sustainability team. Um, the whole business has to take ownership of it. Um, and in that regard, it has to become almost like a kind of business as usual approach. And I think if a business hasn't embedded that across its organisation, where it just becomes part of what you do, carbon becomes an everyday comment and, and, and answer the question about a project. If you don't get that in place, then I think it will be really difficult to sustain it going forward. Well, I think, Lee, that is a really good place to finish. Um, thank you so much again for joining me today. Um, and of course, you know, the subject will continue be, to be debated and progress made. Indeed, as you mentioned, you know, we'll be working on our handbook for, for the roadmap, which we'll be publishing at COP26. Um, so uh, thank you all for listening to this FDF podcast. Uh, for more details on forthcoming webinars, visit the FDF website. The FDF podcast is sponsored by Clark Energy, sustainably powering the food and drink sectors.